All right, hello and welcome back to Real Seekers. I'm your host, Dale, the Real Seeker. And today I have a special treat for you. I have a special guest uh, joining me, Teresa Contaxis. Hey, Teresa. Hey, hi. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Um, so yeah, you, you've you um, your agent, uh, book agent, Heather, kind of reached out to me to bring on the show to talk about your newest book and that sort of thing. Um, but before we get into that, the first thing I want to do is just have you kind of introduce yourself to the audience, uh, a little bit about who you are, your background, and if you don't mind, maybe some something about your faith journey as well. Yeah, I was raised in Connecticut and... Um... I was, I would say agnostic until, I mean, even growing up, my mother would say, go to church and I would put my foot in the vestibule and book it. And I would not lie. I was in church. And then when I was pregnant with my third, because I had three kids in three years, I, I was more and more realizing there's got to be something more. There has got to be. And somebody that my father knew said, you've got to go on this retreat. And I did. And um, it was an Emmaus retreat, but it was called Pi, people, people interested in Emmaus. And I went there and the love of God just poured through me. I didn't know what that meant or anything. I, I mean, it just was so powerful. And right before that, that made me make the retreat is I was doing self-hypnosis to quit smoking. And when I was doing it, all of a sudden I turned my head and I looked at the window and like this bright light, I know, I mean, it didn't really happen, but this is what I was seeing. A bright light came in the window, a dove flew in the window, landed on my shoulder. And for the first time in my life, it was a piece I couldn't, it was, it was such a piece that could not, I could not understand. And I immediately said a quick prayer and it was, okay, I'll tell you what, this happens again, I'm in hook, line and sinker. And about three or four weeks later, it happened again. And that's when I went, okay, I got to find something to do. I need, I need to know something more. And I went on the retreat and it was just more and more. And I just wanted more. I, there, I was a sponge. I, I couldn't have enough. And for a while, it was just within Christianity for quite a few years, because that's what I knew. But then I became interested in others, because it's like, I read one time that all religion has truth. Some have more truth than others, but all religions have truth. So, hey, I wanted I want to know more about them. Like um, Mother Charlotte, my first spiritual teacher said to me, you read everything, you eat the meat and throw out the fat. Mm, so yeah. I, I went to um, a school in New York for um, becoming a reverend, and it was all faith seminary. And um, it was wonderful learning about all the religions. I also studied shamanism to see what that was all about. And you just learn how the center of the whole everything is love. And then from there, I just wanted more and more. And then this book was birthed which in many ways is an autobiography, but it's, it's everybody's autobiography. Mm. Gotcha. Okay. That, so that's one thing that's interesting that you mentioned is um, self-hypnosis. Like uh, I didn't even know that was possible. Like how do you, how does that work? How do you hypnotize well, yourself? Well, that you go in and they, they teach you, they, you know, 
basically it's getting quiet and it's saying to yourself, like, I don't want to smoke. You know, I, I actually don't remember the whole thing because all I remembered is that bird coming through the window and that yeah. was it. I was done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Obviously that's what stands out and everything. Right. So, all right. Cool. Um, all right. Well, obviously in terms of your, your book that you've just written here, it's called the little sailboat, a journey of the soul. Um, so now we, we kind of understand about your own journey there and stuff, but I just want to ask you, like, why why are you using the ocean and the sailboat as kind of metaphors for finding spirituality and, you know, as a metaphor for the ultimate human journey as you see it? Well, for a lot of reasons, first of all, I, the way this was birthed, the book, was at seminary, I had to write a final paper and it had to be on what my ministry was going to be all about. And I freaked out because I wasn't doing it because of ministry. I was doing it because I wanted to learn more. Mm -hmm. And the head of the school said to me, look, it, it could be anything, anything at all. And it dawned on me that one, I used to say, I'm like a little sailboat. I, I sail into somebody's life. And then when I'm not needed anymore, I sail off and go on. So that's what hit me. And that's where it started. And then the ocean is just so vast. It's so incredible. And there's so much unseen about the ocean. Mm. And I, I didn't want to get caught up in Christianity in the sense I wanted the book to be for everybody. And so the whales and the, and the dolphins and all these are, could be the saints or the angels or whatever. They're your unseen friends. And I didn't want to use words that would turn off some people and not you know where it becomes very much because there's so much to be said we're all in this journey and we're all we're all want the same thing which is love gotcha okay um well so that in terms of your your book one of the obviously one of the main points of it is to kind of teach that lesson that you were just speaking of that everyone has this kind of universal struggle of needing to grow up and you know maturing and that sort of thing and I think that you argue that our attitude that we take during this time, this is what kind of determines everything in this struggle. So I, I just wanted to give you some time to kind of flesh out, like what, what exactly do you mean about, about this growing up and how our attitude plays a key role in that? Well, our attitude plays a lot of roles in, but I think the biggest attitude, which we all have when we're coming in this world that we all have to change is the realization that life is not from what we see coming in. It's what's in going out. Okay. And that was the biggest lesson I had to learn because I always wanted to make myself better. I got to feel better. Oh, I'll get a new car. That's going to do it. It worked for a week. Then I'd be like, oh, God, I have to pay for the car. <laughs> and I was doing this for like quite a few years. I mean, doing it and doing it and doing it. And I'm going, Oh, I'm still not happy. What the heck is going on? And, and, and it led me to depression, loneliness, because I the way I saw life, nobody was there for me. Of course, that's the ego. I named her Screaming Mimi. And Mimi can scream really loud. And I would, I would listen to what she was saying. Oh, you're not good enough. You're not worthy. You're not this. You're not that. And then it would be, woe is me. And then when I had my experience, my first time meeting the divine, I started saying to myself, 
oh, I'm really, oh, I need to feel better today. I, I'm just going to go buy something. And I would say to myself, but that's not going to make you happy. And I had to retrain my brain that what I had thought was all wrong. Gotcha. Also, you, you kind of, so you kind of answered the next question because that, that's sort of what I was, I, I know you had this notion of, about the, you know, the me, me, it's, it's all about me and kind of getting something external to find fulfillment rather than finding it within ourselves or, or that sort of thing. And I guess one thing I'll, I'll just follow up on is, okay, so you mentioned about this power of letting go of these external things. Um, did you want to just kind of briefly explain that a little bit? Well, that takes years. And I don't think, I mean, it's a lifetime experience that we keep doing. And sometimes I know I pat myself on my back, go, oh, look at me. I, I, I don't seem to get as angry anymore, which is always a bad mistake when that happens. I shouldn't say bad because usually the next day, the next day I do something where that emotion comes up and I go, oh yeah, still working on it. Just peel one more layer of the onion back, but there's a lot more to go. But when to let go of your emotions, it was very hard for me, especially anger, because I was told good little girls don't get angry. Now, I'm not judging being told that. It was just in that time period and what my mother was taught, who was probably taught by her mother, that that was you don't get angry. So I would have my good friend say to me, oh, you're angry. And I'd go, I'm not angry. No, not me. I'm not angry. <laughs> oh yeah you are and it took it had to take about seven to ten years before i could say you know what i think i'm angry mm. and then to allow yourself to feel what you feel is the only way to get through it because when you push it down it stays there and it it comes up and it becomes like this big pimple ready to pop whenever it can yeah and the only way to do it is accept it out of, out of curiosity, do you think uh, certain emotions, because I know some religions, you studied various religions, right? So some religions say that certain emotions are negative and we, we shouldn't have it, whereas others are, uh, emotions are neither good nor bad. They're just appro appropriate at different times and stuff like that. Like, would you say like so, an emotion like anger is something that we should avoid altogether? It's bad in itself? Or? No, I, I think just the opposite. I think that was my problem. I avoided it. And, and then it festers. And then it also skews our perceptions of everything, the emotions. Like, for example, if, if you struggle with nobody loves me, you are going to use that to make your ego is going to use that expression that you say and prove that that's the truth. So your perceptions get all skewed and you don't actually see the love that's all around you. Instead, you, you prove to yourself Nobody loves me. Gotcha. And it, for me, it was anger was my worst. Gotcha. Yeah, I think I agree with that myself, that emotions are appropriate given the context, right? And so long as they are done in the proper way and that sort of thing, you don't let them get uncontrolled and stuff like that. But, okay, well, I hear what just you're quickly, saying. Just yeah. quickly, I think it's like a, a cloud. If you think of it like a cloud that passes through the sky, it passes so that anger is there in the moment. And the point is not to take it in, but let it continue passing. And you can only do that by allowing it to be. 
Gotcha. Yep. Yep. Going through it and stuff. Okay. Well, uh, here comes a little bit of some fun part because I want to kind of push back a bit on what you've been teaching here. So from a Christian perspective, um, you know, God has obviously created the external world for human beings to enjoy. So uh, at least within Christianity and possibly other religions, it's, it's almost good to desire and take delight in external things to enhance our experience as human beings. So I just wanted to ask you, firstly, do you think that there's maybe a difference in enjoy taking enjoyment out of external things versus oh like gosh, eating? no. I I I I we create our surroundings. We create every we're creators. We can't help it. That's we were created to be co-creators. But and we're supposed to enjoy it. We're supposed to walk like I'm right across from me is Long Island Sound, and I get to turn my head and see the sound. And that brings such warmth and light to my heart. I love getting a new shirt or a new something, but the point is, I it's not about that's what's going to make me happy. It adds to my enjoyment, but I can't really enjoy anything until I can see life from the inside out and not the outside in. Gotcha. Yep. Yep. And I, I think Christians would, would agree with that as well, more, more or less, right? I mean, it's we can take enjoyment in these external things, but it's not the main ultimate purpose. Uh, exactly. Not, yeah. Okay. Well, here's another thing because I, another thing that you mentioned is the importance of self selflessness, right? Not all about this me, me notion, you know, it's not all about me. And obviously many religions, including Christianity, they all agree with this, but what if somebody comes back and says, but so that the opposite end is bad too. It shouldn't all be about others. Um, I'm important too. So it should be to some extent about me as well, right? It's got to be a balance. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Like is, well, go ahead. Sorry. My, my, somebody I work with energetically, he really shares a lot about that and you're right. And I would say to him, because he, he works incredible amount of hours. And I would say to him, you know, even Jesus went in the desert to pray for three days. You, if you don't take the time on you, you have to take the time on you. However you do it, whatever gives you joy, maybe it is sitting by the water or under a tree or taking a walk in the grass or praying or listening to music. Whatever it is, you need your you time. There was this priest, this beautiful priest that had his line open 24-7. And he worked in a high school. He ended up committing suicide. And I think part of that was he never slept. He never took time for himself. And you have to take time for yourself. Exactly. Yeah. My mother is dying right now. And yesterday I went, okay. I need some time for me. I can't just be there. And no guilt, no anything. I just knew I needed to um, replenish. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, I think it, uh, I think it's absolutely true, right? Like we, we, everyone is equally important. We need to care and take care of ourselves in order to take care of others and stuff like that. So yeah, that makes sense to me as well. Okay. Um, well, getting, getting back to your book then, one of the things you say here, you argue that we can and should find it within ourselves to change course, you know, when to going with your metaphor, when life storms are looming, we, we change course, right, to the proper direction. So in the first place, do you, do you want to just kind of explain 
uh, what you mean a little bit more on this front? Okay. For me, the ocean is God. In the book, that's the metaphor about it. The, I'm the little sailboat, the littlest of sailboats, because compared to God, we're all, we're little. We're little children. Mm-hmm. And, and when I, I get swallowed up by the ocean, the wind, which of course is Holy Spirit to me, I, I get swallowed up by the ocean. And when I come out of the ocean and wake up, I, I have a realization that, oh my gosh, the, I was always told that I came from the ocean, from the depths of the ocean and I would return. And here I had the ocean within me. And it was that moment that the little sailboat realized there's something more. Gotcha. Yeah, that when I, I was listening to one of your interviews that you did when you talked about that, where the boat kind of tips over and gets water inside of it and stuff. And that that's where I kind of wanted to ask you, because in certain religions, obviously, again, full disclosure, within a Christian context, um, some people will say, well, well, look, when you when these storms loom, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to look to God, not yourself, kind of thing when you're faced with life's challenges. So I I just wanted to kind of get you to respond to that, but you've, you've kind of hinted at it, but yeah. If, do you have anything else? To add? I, I definitely agree with you, but you don't know that till you experience. Well, in my, you know, when I had my experience, it changed the whole direction of my life. That moment that happened, everything changed in my life. And that's what it's about. The little sailboat gets the ocean in them, in her and goes, okay, now what? Gotcha. All right, cool. So the next thing I wanted to ask you about, it's from another part of your book where you kind of say, so just to quote you, but isn't that who we are in essence as human beings, a work in progress? Um, So, you know, you've kind of hinted before, it takes time to learn that we are divine beings living the human experience. So yeah, in the first place, just a couple things on that front. So um, isn't this notion that we are kind of divine beings contradictory to many of the world's religions whereby, you know, God is not man by essence. He has a, a divine nature. So, you know, we as human beings saying that we are divine, isn't that kind of contradictory to a lot of the religions where they see God as, no, he alone has this divine nature type thing. He created us. And if we are from God, it's not that we look like God. We're the energy of God, which is love. God is love. He's perfect love. He, it, I mean, I, 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 love, I love the word agape for love because mm-hmm. it's a love we can't understand in the sense of it's not, it's so far beyond human love. And, but that is who we are. And we're here to learn as Jesus lived it. He lived it. He was love. He became love completely. And I'm sure he had his challenges growing up and learning that, you know, and, but that's who we are too. I used to go, when I was going to mother Charlotte, this was one of my first spiritual teacher, we'd be sitting at the table and she would have us introduce each other, even though we knew each other. But what she would have us do is like, I, I would look at the person next to me and say, Hello, Karen Christ. This is Teresa Christ, because Christ is in, within. And then we go around the table and recognize each other as Christ. Okay. Okay. Do you, out of um, curiosity, do you think, 
like if you could define I, I know this is more a philosophical question but that's sort of my interest so do you, would you say that like love is the only property of the divine nature or does he have other properties or i think love is everything i mean he i i don't i don't i think the jewish religion has so many beautiful names for god because i don't think there is one word for god because he's everything yeah so I love, I, there's a, a books you could get where it explains the different terms for, for God in um, Hebrew and they're beautiful and they're, every one of them is awesome and inspiring. Gotcha. One person in the audience, I'll just bring them up. They're kind of supported. Look, uh, even within Christian theology that it says that uh, in some way man does participate in the divine nature um so i think that's kind of hinting at what you're saying where christ dwells in our hearts and he does conform our characters to be more and more like his and stuff so yeah i thought that was an interesting take there all right um okay so another thing that you say is that in human beings in essence we are works in progress um but we are also supposed to be divine beings as well so oh okay so here is the the other thing that I was interested in, because it isn't part of the divine nature, it's supposed to be perfect already. It's it's complete already. So if we as human beings are kind of inherently works in progress process, how how does that kind of reconcile? We human beings have this incomplete nature, but God has a complete nature. Well, we're both because, you know, we're divine and we're human. Our human part is figuring it all out. Our divine part already knows it we just gotta get the two together and oh. instead of being fractured it's it's sort of like we're we're uh multiple personalities we have two <laughs> and we have to get they have to learn to work together and that's trying to dethrone screaming mimi gotcha gotcha all right cool um perfect so one thing that I know, uh, you mentioned that human beings are fundamentally good. This, I think this came from a, an interview that I watched you were doing kind of thing where it's, it's impossible for the source of goodness to make anything bad or evil, right? So therefore the human nature is ultimately good in that sort of thing. I'm, I'm curious on your take about religious doctrines on, you know, the use of free will, um, as an explanation for things like the fall, right? Or, or you know, why is there evil in this world? Well, human beings use their free will to bring about these things. Um, do you have a take about like, obviously there are bad things in this world. So yeah, there are, but that um, in so many ways, I've read it many times in different ways and I really agree with it. Everything is either a call for love or an action of love. So you ran into somebody, I do believe in the goodness of people. I know my husband totally disagrees with me. He's like, no, there's bad people. I don't believe that. I've seen such goodness in so many people. I mean, I had, I lost my wallet in New York City and, and somebody mailed it back to me and I got it two days later. Mm -hmm. I lost my wallet in an airport. I got it back two days later. I mean, I and I've had that throughout my whole life. So yes, do people do bad things? Yes, have I done bad things? Yes. When we operate out of our fear, we sometimes do things that is truly against our nature because our nature is so incredibly beautiful, but our fears do things like, for example, you really want something and you know you could get it 
possibly through somebody, but instead of act being who you are, which is love, you decide you're going to manipulate the situation to get what you want. That is not who we truly are. And then you just have, and it's not to be judged. I'm not judging myself for when I've done that. It's recognizing that I have done it and go, okay, I'm going to put on a different pair of glasses and look at this differently. And next time I will act a little different. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying. I, I think that, yeah, obviously human beings from the Christian perspective, we were created fundamentally good we, and that sort of thing. And obviously we have the story of the fall to try and make sense of a, a sinful nature. It's like a contamination of the good. And that's explains why we do bad from time to time and that sort of thing. But we still have everything that we were designed to be and stuff as well. Right. So, okay. Um, all right. So would you, I'm, I'm curious, obviously you studied other world religions and everything like that. Would you, for, would you see any role in, within your beliefs for what the Christians call the sin nature? Like how, is there any explanation for that or? I, I guess I, I've changed my opinion on that. I, I see, I would just describe sin more as an action that is outside of our authentic selves. Okay. And we do, we do, we, we have Christ within us or God consciousness, whatever you want to, it's in all of us. We can go in and work on it. So I, I guess sin, I, maybe the word sin is just too strong for me because of coming up Catholic. Hmm. So but I'm, I'm not saying it's like you could do anything you want. You, it's a recognition that, oh, wow, what I did was just out of alignment to, for who I truly am. And I'm going to have another look at it and, and work in a different direction that is true to who I am. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I see a, a good audience thing kind of following up on this discussion. They're, they're asking, like, so there's no way that um, the guests could believe in a duality of man's nature. So it's almost like they have two two different aspects to their nature or something. I don't know if you wanted to respond. Well, that, that's what I was just saying. We have our ego selves, our, our mind personality, and we have our Christ self. And it's throughout our lives, I think at least my experience is where I started from and where I am and where I'm going, hopefully is just going to keep growing and growing and growing is coming more and more in, in making my actions and my thoughts is my thoughts are very important to not think, Oh, look at that guy. He was a blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but to instead offer a quick prayer of love to that person. Oh, you don't know what's going on in their life right now. Why they just did what they did. And I'm going to just offer a quick prayer of love. Gotcha. Okay. Um, well, kind of the, the other aspect, I'm just sort of interested, like what, what's your take on free, on the free will debate? I know it's a huge debate and stuff, but um, yeah. What's your take on free will? <laughs> human well, beings? I, I used to go, Oh, why did you give me free will? Let me just do what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want free will. <laughs> Gotcha. That's interesting. So, okay. Yeah. Cause I've heard a lot of people say that, like uh, just the other day, some atheists were kind of saying like, J you know, just program me and make me do the right thing all the time. And yes. So, I used to say that, but what free will is to me now where it's a beautiful gift is that we have the gift to learn. We have the free will to act in fear or love. Are we going to listen to the voice in our head that's screaming, do this 
are we going to listen to that still small voice in our heart saying, do this? We have free choice to make that. And isn't that beautiful? Because then we learn and we grow and we're not robots. You know, he didn't create us to, to just do as we're told. He created us to, to, to do it on our own, not on our own, but to make those choices. I know that I used to tease that sometimes making a choice, screaming Mimi would be screaming, you need to do this. And this quiet little voice would be going, no, this. And I go, Shh, I don't want to hear that. I want to do this. Yeah, exactly. You could ori orient your will, right? Your free will. <laughs> you want. All right, cool. Yeah. So, so on my end, I, I believe free will is a fundamental aspect uh, of the human nature. And in terms of, you know, keeping it, they are achieving our ultimate purpose and that sort of thing. Uh, from Christian perspective, that would be salvation or whatever it is in order to achieve this end state that we're all looking for. Free will is a fundamental and necessary component of that. We can't get there unless we have free will because that by making choices that shape and sculpt our characters, that's a fundamental uh, part of achieving that type thing. So, And it's such a gift. It is. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I wouldn't have said that 10 years ago, but it, it really is. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's, it's a responsibility as well too. So I, I see the other side, right? People, some people, philosophers have talked about freedom as like the burden of freedom and stuff like that, but it's the, the other side where it, it's a tremendous gift as well as is also equally important so all right cool i think um okay so someone's uh, asking a couple questions here about this free will thing so can i freely choose not to breathe um are there willful decisions to make autonomic functions work or not work well i know in certain um traditions that people have been able to slow down their breathing like they do they do command in it, their breathing and can slow everything down i mean i can't do that but there are people who do that through meditation and other things so yes i think it's possible i don't i don't know i don't necessarily think that has i don't know maybe it does i'm just thinking about that now could that be considered part of free will i I'm not sure about that, but I do know people can do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, that's a that's an interesting point. I, I would say def, definitely you can't choose whether or not to breathe, period. But there are it is a choice where you can control it to some degree, at least, and stuff like yeah. that. So that's, that's an interesting thing I didn't think of. So, yeah. All right, cool. Um, all right. So now I come to the last question on my list of questions. And this kind of relates to something I'm interested in uh, based on your studies in all of the world's religions and stuff like that and how they relate to each other. So you said something very interesting at the beginning here that there, there's truth in all religions. And I wanted to kind of get your take. So what perspective would you, would you take sort of a religious pluralism stance, like through following and committing to any religion, we can achieve our end goal or yeah, first of all, let me just ask you, do you take a pluralist perspective or? Oh, well, I think there's more than one road to Rome. <laughs> okay. okay. And yeah. I think some people, some people, you somehow whatever's within you can really relate to something and they grow from there. Like my son leans towards Buddhism. All right. And he grows a lot within that. And mm -hmm. 
and where it's going to go, I don't know, because, you know, you shift, you change. But also is the fact, I think what religion, my thought, I'm not saying I'm right, but my thought of what religion is supposed to be, it's supposed to be a parent okay. that helps you grow and learn. And then like a mother bird lets you fly. Okay. But and then, and then you still need other people to go, whoa, are you off base right now? Or wow, that's a really interesting, we need each other. So, but that's where in early Christianity, where they just met in a group, no, you know, not mass or services, they just met. There was a lot of growth in that. Hmm. And I, I think it's like Paul says about oh, at one point, you know, when you're a little kid, you drink milk and then you get rid of the milk and you can have the meat. Yeah. I think religion is supposed to not, stay in control of us, but help us to grow and find that place and live from that place. Gotcha. So it's it's kind of like it's part of the story. There's partial truth to it. And you follow it to a certain point, at which point you think, okay, now you let go and you've moved on to the next phase kind of thing. Um, you might, you might stay right where you are the whole time because it resonates completely with you and you're continually growing and questioning. And if you if you're around real when you're around real seekers, seekers always question. They yeah. never and seekers, you know, my opinion from last year to this year has changed. I've learned a lot. Seekers keep growing because they want to hear what other people have to say. And they they something resonates within them when they go, wow, that so resonated with me as truth. And then you want to find out more. Gotcha. Out of curiosity then, because obviously the other positions are like religious exclusivists. They would kind of push back against pluralists and they would say, well, okay, well, that's great. Sure. Maybe there are truths in every religion. I mean, there's at least something true that and even useful. Perhaps we can learn and grow from every religion. But at the end of the day, there are those contradictory doctrines and stuff. So like, what would, what do we do with that then? If, if Eat the meat, throw out the fat. Oh, perfect. Okay. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, cool. So, see, I think, yeah, I think you answer. Um, yeah, I think you've answered everything on my, my list of questions that I kind of wanted to ask you about it. Is there anything else that I've missed that you think is really important to share or to talk about? Or I, I think we really, the one thing about religions I want to say is, and it's why it's important. I'm not saying you're going to believe in another religion, you, but what's important to understand about them enough so you're not judging them. Judgment is such a it's such a poison that we've all tasted, we've all had. Mm -hmm. I mean, you think of even the Christian Church as a whole. Yeah. If you're cat, I actually okay. I was Catholic, and I found a prayer group I would like to go to that was not. Uh, well, I don't remember what it was, but actually I had to quit because they were trying to save me from hell because I was Catholic. So when, so when you, that poison hurts potentially wonderful relationships that mm -hmm. can grow. Um, Mother Charlotte used to be real. Uh, I'm not going to do Mother Charlotte. I'm going to do Father Merton okay. and Father Merton uh, was a good friend of a Buddhist monk. And he grew so much from that Buddhist monk yeah. and led to some incredible writings. 
Yeah, um, absolutely. So I, I do actually agree with that. Um, I, I would believe it or not, I personally would take a religious exclusivist stance myself, but that doesn't deny the fact that we can't be friends and stuff and learn and grow from other religions or religious adherents and stuff like that. So yeah, I think there, there are truths in every religion and we can enhance our own faiths and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, for right. Me, for, for example, Buddhists in not quite the same way can teach us how to get to a very quiet place. Now I, we might come at, about it from a different angle with a different thought system, but they, they can teach us how to get quiet, which silence is, is a, a first step in wisdom. Gotcha. Yeah. Like learning how to meditate and stuff like that, I guess you're saying. And yeah, I don't know about you, but when I first started meditating, my brain would not shut down. It would just, Oh, I have to do this and I have to do that. And it was like, Oh my gosh, can you be quiet for a minute? Yeah. Yeah. I've never meditated in my life. Kind of. I've, I've kind of prayed and, and been still that way and stuff like that. But yeah, it's, it, I, as the Hindus would say, I'm more of the path of the jhana yoga, like, uh, you know, like learning and growing. That's my preferred way and stuff like that. But yeah, I think, like I said, I, I think there's a lot we can learn from other faiths and stuff like that. Um, even if you think, even if you are a religious exclusivist and you think there is only one way to achieve that end goal, there's still great stuff to learn in other religions. Right. And that's exactly right. You could, you it, I'm not saying anybody should ever leave the path that they're on, but be open to gathering something that might enhance what they are and what they do. Gotcha. It's like never instead of. Yeah. But also. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Well, yeah, I think, I think that's it. Um, I think we kind of covered it. I hope that you feel that I know, I've been asking some probing questions, but I think it's it's important to get your take on those and stuff. So hopefully well, you enjoy. I your love it because those questions also lead you to go, oh wait a minute, I I need to think about that a little more. And by the way, as much where you were saying you like to learn and grow, so for me it's about I get a book that for some reason is really touches my heart and soul, mm -hmm. and I'll read it until all of a sudden. I'm sitting with something because it's so beautiful and then I can stay there for a while. So I can't just go in the quiet and be present. I, I have to, I need something to get me there. Gotcha. Like an aid kind of thing to, yeah. to push you into. Okay. All right, cool. Well, yeah, I just want to say thank you so much for, for coming on. And again, on my blog, I'm going to be posting up the link to Teresa's blog as well as her new book, The Littlest Sailboat. Um, so yeah, uh, hopefully you enjoyed and hopefully the audience enjoyed, but thank you so much for, for coming on and putting up with my, uh, my oh, questions and stuff. Thank you for listening. I just, I just love, I just love to this kind of bantering. It's wonderful. It's such a it, gift. Thank you so much, Dale. No problem. All right, cool. So just so the audience knows what I have coming up, uh, oh, believe it or not. Yeah. This week is insane for me. So I have another fourth podcast I'm doing tonight on the Faith Unaltered podcast. Um, and we're talking about kind of our our own journeys and stuff, uh, giving our testimonies and how we came to faith and stuff. So look forward to that tonight on the Faith Unaltered podcast. But other than that, have a great week. Bye now. All right.